This podcast is supported in part by Australian Ethical. When I formally introduced the legislation as Minister for Aboriginal Affairs in the Upper House, there were so many Aboriginal people there that you know, journalists and my fellow MPs from the other chamber couldn't get in to have a seat. It, it was the proudest day of my working life. That is the voice of Kai Ma. He is the Attorney General of South Australia and he said a whole bunch of other super interesting things in this episode of Irrational Fear, recorded live at the Adelaide Fringe Festival just last weekend. Now, please, just a, a word on the audio. I couldn't actually hear myself very well because the, the audio was quite squeaky in the audience. I don't know how or why it sounded that way. I had a weird headset mic, so I changed mics halfway through and it sounded a lot better. So Jacob Round on the Teppanyaki timeline has done absolute wonders at polishing the audio we recorded in Adelaide. Uh, so please enjoy this episode and please enjoy the conversation we had with Kai Ma. It is really good. Also, a quick note, if you are in Brisbane and Melbourne, we're coming to you live March 26th in Brisbane at the World Science Festival that is selling really well. We've only got about 80 seats left to sell there. And then April 2nd in Melbourne at the Comedy Festival, we are, we've, we're about half sold out there. So pick up your tickets to Brisbane and Melbourne. But right now, enjoy this episode of Irrational Fear, recorded live at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Ngadlo porachi yaicha mena yaincha yarta ko kuma tampendi. Mani nina pudne gana yartana nina padni panima puki mukabando. Tola poro tekandi tenanya panda tapana tutakuma. Yaincha gana yarda yaicha yarda. Today we are meeting on sacred Ghana land. We pay respects to all the Ghana that were and all the Ghana that are. We pay respects to all of our elders, earthside and beyond, and to all First Nations people. On behalf of the ancestors and Ghana people, we welcome you to our country and ask that as you travel these plains, you remember the people that walked here before you. The spirit still lives amongst the steel, the concrete, the roads and the lawns. Wherever you go, you stand on unceded Aboriginal land. Always was, always will be. Hello, Robbie McGregor here, letting you know that this is a podcast recording, and as such, you as the audience should make as much noise as possible. Specifically, you should laugh and cheer at Dan's opening three jokes, regardless of the quality. Oh, I know, I know, I don't make the rules, okay? The following program contains medium coarse language and traces of nuts. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Comedians, experts, laughing at the world as it burns down around us. <laughs> Live from the Adelaide Friends Festival, this is A Rational Fear. Tonight! Jocks are shocked as all around Australia, hundreds of F45 gyms collapsed from too many reps. And the return of the Adelaide 500 has been a success, delivering 51 million to the state. Next year, South Australia will be able to buy a house in Sydney. And we tell, where, we tell you where you can best see the Southern Lights in Adelaide. Our topic, the White Horse on Hindley Street. Live from the Adelaide Fringe Festival, this is Irrational Fear! This is Irrational Fear! This is the podcast that takes the news and gives it a little ride on the Oba. Um, I don't know what an O-barn is. Uh, it sounds dangerous, um, but uh, it sounds pretty good. All right, let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. 
First up, he's a musical whiz and a showbiz, and master of showbiz, a man who's no stranger to making people annoyed on television, but has only apologised once. It's Andrew Hansen. Hello. Andrew. Hello. <clears throat> Andrew, you've annoyed a lot of people on TV over Thank the you. years. Do you Thank have you. any advice for the project? The project? Um, yes, apologise more often and somebody might start watching again. <laughs> And they've received their second five-star review at the Adelaide Fringe Festival, but they refuse to let it go to their head. It's the very humble, and she asked him to say this, the artist formerly known as Gabby Bolt. Yes. Hey. Gabby, congratulations on your great reviews. What keeps you grounded? Uh, the rocks that I put in my pockets <laughs> as I walk into the ocean. And, <laughs> and they're the first of two lawyers here on this panel. It's the satirical miracle that it's Alice Rebecca Fraser. Alice, have you ever been on a comedy panel with more than one lawyer? Uh, I have always been more than one lawyer on the inside. Inside <laughs> everybody there are two lawyers, one that wants you to win and one that wants you to fail and they're in constant court battle. <laughs> and he's not only a DJ but a master craftsman of wacky clips from the News Fighters podcast and behind the scenes on every TV show in Australia, it's Dylan Bain. Dylan, what is the um, what is the worst comedy show you've ever worked on? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I want to work again. It's a very small industry. <laughs> and they know the law inside and out. I hope you have your parking tickets ready for review. It's South Australia's Attorney General, Kaya Ma. Good day and good afternoon, everyone. Kaya, for all of us visitors to this land, what is the strangest law in South Australia that we need to be aware of? You can spend two years in jail for pretending to be a clairvoyant. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Section 40 of the Summary Offences Act. Wow. <laughs> but and... you just jail everybody who's claiming to be a clairvoyant because you wouldn't claim to be a clairvoyant if you were a clairvoyant because you'd see the jail coming. You can just imagine the prosecution. The judge tells you, are you a clairvoyant or not? You answer, I knew you were going to ask that. Case dismissed. <laughs> Done. And finally, each Sunday, our guest visits a maternity ward to drain the stem cells from discarded umbilical cords to keep him youthful enough to host Triple J Drive. It's the radiant Lewis Hopper. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Yes. Lock up your children. <laughs> Last time we came to Adelaide, um, we... Uh, oh, we don't need to talk about the last uh, time we came to Adelaide. We, we left on sour terms um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, Julia Zemiro booked us for the Cabaret Festival uh -huh. and she got a few complaints about the comedy we did that was very anti-Adelaide. So I've got some ground rules. Okay. Um, there was actually... Um, the moment I started my, like, set the last time we were in Adelaide, a man stood up and it was... This was the Cabaret Festival, so very different energy to the French. He stood up and he was wearing a feather boa and he flicked it around his head and he went, that's not a cabaret! <laughs> <laughs> and it was fucking amazing. So we've got some ground rules for tonight. So please, uh, no barrel jokes, uh, no wheelie bin jokes uh, and no human-sized receptacle jokes in general. Okay, that is, that is it. That is it for tonight. Uh, it's great to be here in Adelaide. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking to Kaim about the voice for South Australia. But first, here is a message from this week's sponsor. Jim Chalmers says if you've got more than $3 million in super, you'll probably be okay with paying a normal amount of tax. But tell that to the renters in your fifth investment property. Jim Chalmers wants to steal money from the super rich to give it to the slightly less super rich. Is this the Australia we want? So these are confronting numbers. 
Jim Chalmers doesn't want you to enjoy Bollinger on your 66th birthday. He's forcing you to drink Dom Perrin yuck instead. It's going to be a difficult time ahead. Don't let Labour steal your third first-class trip on the Queen Mary 2 this year away from you. It will get tougher before it starts to ease. Authorised by Rich for a sane conversation about Super Australia. It is great. It's great to be in Adelaide. It's fantastic. There's a real energy here. It feels like, like Austin at South by Southwest. I've almost been run over by 10 scooters, <laughs> which is great because it means if someone's paying 20 bucks to go 500 metres, the economy is good. It's really good. It's really good. We're going to get into a bit of SA politics in a bit. But before that, yesterday, I, I, to promote the show, I was on ABC Radio. Did anyone hear me on ABC Radio with George Schiller yesterday? Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Fantastic. Wonderful. Oh, Excellent. And the listener. Yeah, listen. Hello, no, no, Dan. Have you seen the ratings for ABC Radio? <laughs> I don't think anybody well, would have heard a, you. I'm sorry, Lewis. But it's a question. I mean, I mean uh, Lewis, Andrew, myself, Dylan, we've all kind of started our careers on ABC. Uh, you too, Alice and Gabby as well. And, like, how, when did we start our careers? Like, 2009 on Country Beast? Yeah, 10 we went to air. Oh, 2010, yeah. yeah. And you've been doing radio for, like... Triple J, National oh, Drive. I, when radio was invented, I was there. Um, oh, my God. Uh, I was there at the dawn of the very first broadcast. And you do TV. Winston Churchill shook my hand and said, go and play flume, young boy, and I did. <laughs> Lewis, you also do TV. You're a bit of a network star on the ABC. Sure, yeah, that's right. When they need a white guy, they, um, they see if Charlie Pickering's busy, um, <laughs> and then they work their way down to Will Anderson, and then they make seven or eight more phone calls, and if none of them are available, <laughs> they check once more, and then they call me. It's, so it's kind of interesting to see, you know, how ABC Radio Adelaide introduced us. It is 12 minutes to five. You're listening to Jewel Schiller. It is ABC Radio Adelaide. Well, tomorrow at 5pm at Vagabond at the Garden of Unearthly Delights, you'll get the opportunity to laugh in the face of fear, irrational <laughs> fear. Dan Illich has been hosting this podcast since 2012. He now co-hosts it with Triple J presenter Lewis Hobbs. Lewis Hobbs. Lewis Hobbs. Oh, wow. Lewis Hobbs. I think you might have a branding issue. Fuck. Jules Schiller has shaken my hand, looked me in the eye and said my name on more than one occasion. It could have been a simple mispronunciation uh, like that. I don't know, Lewis. Let's see if it was a mistake. Uh, you'll be co-hosting with Lewis Hobbs, of course, Triple J presenter, but you always have... Lewis, this is bad. This is terrible. You've got, you've got actually an SEO problem, uh, which is search engine optimization. I actually Googled Lewis Hobbs and it came up with a footballer. This is Microsoft Bing. You're also some kind of planetary... That's actually guy. me when they gave me my first radio job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when you put it into DuckDuckGo, this is what comes up. DuckDuckGo. Oh, hey my God. God. Yeah. So yeah, We've discovered that Julian Schiller uses the security search engine DuckDuckGo. <laughs> this is amazing. Wow. Don't, Lewis, don't worry. Like, when I heard this, I had to defend your honour. Oh, thank I, you so much. I needed to speak up. <laughs> well... Danielidge, thank you for joining us. It's good to know that you've finally got to Adelaide and you'll be part of a rational fear tomorrow in the garden. Have a great show, Dan, and thanks for coming on. Thanks, and I just want to give a big shout-out to my co-host, Lewis Hobbs. He's an absolute legend. Um, thank you, Dan, Danielidge, and... <laughs> All right, uh, Lewis... I, Lewis oh. Honestly, I was going to be really fucking nice to Adelaide this time. <laughs> I, like, I wrote a whole thing about how nice... And you know what? Fuck yourselves. 
It's fucking barrel time. Don't, you fucking don't losers. punish the people for the, for no, the work no. of one, you know? <laughs> You're all one person to me. You're all Julian Schiller. <laughs> Lewis, uh, sorry, thanks for, thanks, thanks for that, Lewis. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Lewis isn't the only one with name complications. Andrew, you've got quite a complicated problem with your name too. Oh, look, can I complain about my name in the, in the form of song? Dan- yeah, uh, yeah, do, yeah, if you don't mind, <laughs> I'm going to spontaneously uh, do this. With a backing track. Um, no, my name is Andrew Hanson, and uh, you know, that comes with a few issues. Like this. I could have been named after Charles the New King. I could have been James or Bill or any damn thing. But Mum called me Andrew, and it makes me wince, cause. I got the name of that prince Terrible name Known by any other name That's what I wanna be A bogan name like Branyan Or a nutcase name like Barnaby An ancient name like Jesus Or any name since But I got the name of that prince Poor Andrew My last name's even worse I didn't get a choice Handsome is your surname I was told I share it with a Polly from the Ku Klux Klan And a rock band of eight-year-olds Bob Andrew Garfield wears Spider-Man hats Andrew Lloyd Webber's still fiddling with cats Oh, it's a cursed old name, but our mums weren't convinced So we cop the name of that prince Bad luck It's a hard name to carry, it's even worse than Harry I got the name of that prince Shit name Well if you're planning a baby then take my hints What? Don't give him the name of a prince Complaint's over It's a bit like Q&A on crack This is a rational fear as we say goodbye to summer, let's spend a minute to remember the stories we all avoided over summer. Dylan Bain, you watched too much news for one, man. What did we miss? Yeah, uh, thanks, Dan. Did, did you have a good summer? Had a great summer, yeah. What about everyone here? Everyone in Adelaide have a good summer this summer? Yeah, yeah. I had a great summer because in Sydney, at least, it was the first summer in about four years we didn't have raining ash from bushfires, COVID lockdowns or scary new variants keeping us indoors. Uh, but... I don't know, personally, it felt like there was still not quite enough news. I don't know, I watched all the news this summer and, and edited it together. And tell me what you think. Tell me if you think, uh, tell me if you think there was uh, much good news this summer. The rise in interest rates with the promise of more to come is the number one talking point right across the country. I'm certainly sorry if people um, listen to what we said. The Reserve Bank says more rate rises are coming, but the Treasurer, it seems, is not convinced. It rem- well, the, they have, the decisions for the future haven't yet been taken. Angry shoppers are starting to call out examples of hyperinflation on supermarket shelves with outrage over Cocoa Pops nearing $10 a box. This is a f- Paid parking at major shopping centres is now outlawed in South Australia. And we are the parties of the Australian working class. The Pentagon is tonight tracking a suspected Chinese spy balloon travelling through US skies. Bluey, look at it. The very famous Australian cattle dog making its taboo. It's been a dramatic day on Sydney's northern beaches with several of them forced to close following a shark attack on a dolphin. It's just scary because you've combined flipper 
with Jaws. The worst combination you can get. A giant seal has had quite the adventure in the Victorian town of Port Lonsdale. Look at him go. (laughs) Go, Henry. Move pretty quickly. Yeah, he's a unit, isn't he? A Perth nightclub is banning red shoes, labelling them a magnet for misbehaviour. What is an esche? You've got to have the mullet, you've got to have the chains, and you've got to have the TNs, esche. Aussie superstars Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban are making the most of their time here in Australia. There's a recent trip to a kebab shop that had the Hollywood couple wowing locals. How exciting was it to have Nicole and Keith in your store? And most importantly, what did they order? Is there something that Keith hasn't tried yet that maybe he should give a go? Is there any time of the day when a kebab isn't appropriate? Good on you and thanks for the great kebabs. The tiny but potentially deadly radioactive capsule that was missing in WA's outback has been found. In this case, it was a tiny capsule. Fifteen years ago, Prime Minister Kevin Rudd delivered a national apology. The opposition leader apologising for walking out on the apology 15 years ago. I apologise for my actions. Notably absent from the anniversary breakfast this morning, Peter Dutton. We don't need a voice, we need ears. A powerful earthquake has struck Turkey, now known as Turkia. Rescuers in Turkey and Syria are deep into a second night of digging in freezing temperatures as they race to save any survivors of the earthquakes that struck the region more than 24 hours ago. Well, time for one more trip aboard the Venga bus. <laughs> That's the summer of news. Yeah, thank you, Dylan. Uh... Let's continue on with Hang On A Sec. This is where we play a clip. Uh, when you guys want to chime in with a joke, just say, hang on a sec, and we'll stop the tape. This comes from South Australian Senator Alex Antic. He is in... He's in... <laughs> Some big Alex Antic fans in. That's really wonderful. Really... Familiar with his antics? <laughs> uh, I believe that's the name of his Sky News show. Uh... <laughs> Join me on Alex Antics. Uh, that's what he plans to do when he retires. So this is him in Senate Estimates talking to the Department of Home Affairs about something very serious. Your, your opening statement here, which I've got in front of me, you, you made mention of the fact that the department's uh, work extends to dealing with the effects of climate change. Yes. And to better position Australia to deal with the increasing exposure and vulnerability to nationally significant crises, including those due to climate change. Hang on a sec. Greatest of respect. Uh, you hope that the next line's going to be, and is it going well? <laughs> how do you reckon it's going? How, how can we help you do that better? Is that comedy? Hang on a sec. Or is that serious? Sounds like the Adelaide Advertiser giving a review. <laughs> Pazula, your, your opening statement, is that comedy, parody, or is that serious? Are you referring to the question that you've asked me? I, I don't understand. No, 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 no. The suggestion that the Department of Home Affairs is somehow prioritising the issue of uh, climate change. Sorry, hang on a sec. He really stops to read the words climate change. Like he's, he's like, I've ju- I'm sorry, I've just seen this for the very first time. C- c- cli- climate change? Explain more. What is this catastrophic thing that poses massive security risks for our country, Department of Home Affairs? Because I know that, like, we all, I assume, look at this and go, well, this guy's just being a and he's just being annoying, <laughs> and he's just getting in the way, and he's, this is theoretical, but he's just, like, slowing this shit down, and he knows exactly... But imagine if he genuinely had just heard about climate change for the first time. Like, it would be a cause for concern. Yeah. Yeah. What he's doing is he's doing this weird thing. He's, like, cosplaying American politicians who are not actually in the room that they're in. They're just constantly trying to get TikTok clips of themselves going viral, being like... 
uh, climate change. Like, it's just that That's so exactly cringy. what he's doing. I, I think, Dan, he really wanted to ask about the Venga bus. He was too embarrassed to, so asked about climate change. And as a South Australian, we're sorry. <laughs> Genuinely don't know how to respond to a rather oddly put question. You asked me whether well, it's comedy. It's well, my job. I, well, I don't. I don't really understand well, what, what you're asking me. Well, so you, you're meaning to tell me that the, home, the Department of Home Affairs is prioritising the, the effects of climate change. I just enjoy the fact that they're going back, going go back and forth, going. Is this comedy? Is this a question? Is this comedy? What's a question? What's comedy? Like it's, it's actually their version of who's on first, which actually is classic comedy. <laughs> well, is it safe then to say that the department? has been captured by leftist ideology. <laughs> oh, hang on a sec. Here's the comedy. It's, it's arrived in the form of that question. There we go. I went to his Twitter page to see just what his deal is and who he follows. Who do you think Alex Antic, <laughs> Liberal Senator for South Australia, follows? Who is the one person that he follows? Somebody already yelled it out. You able to say it all together in one, two, three? <laughs> yeah. That was Trump, I think. And yes, the only person he follows is Donald Trump. <laughs> I think that's the real comedy right there. <laughs> the only podcast made entirely by artificial intelligence. A rational fear. Please give it up for Alice Fraser. Hello, this is about the news that four new charges have been added to Sam Bankman-Fried's criminal indictment, bringing the total number of charges to 12. If you don't know, Sam Bankman-Fried was a crypto trader who was the darling of both Silicon Valley, the effective altruism community, and the Harvard white bread wank stains for being a tussle-haired, shorts-wearing, compulsive gamer who seemed to have the magic touch with other people's imaginary money. Silicon Valley is obsessed with startup culture, which you could be mistaken for believing is about starting new and exciting businesses, when in fact it's sort of a, a gold rush of hype and an obsession with getting bought out quickly by a big fish, so you never have to admit that most online companies don't have a business model at all other than selling your attention to the advertisers. There's this just about the acquisition of legitimacy via the public investment of venture capitalism. Essentially, you should give me more money because heaps of people are giving me money. Their job is to talk other people into giving them other people's money in order to give it to other people. Sam Bankman-Fried managed to self-brand as a scruffy wunderkind while skating into his 30s in the Bahamas as one of the world's richest men while doing experimental new wave polyamory with his colleagues, which should have been a red flag as to productivity because who has time to pioneer a new way of running human sex while also being responsible for billions of dollars? Such is society's willingness to let young fuckheads gamble with huge quantities of money that at one point somebody told him that he should think about getting a board for his company and he told them to go fuck themselves and they still invested. <laughs> and this is happening in a country, America, which makes mothers go back to work six weeks after giving birth. Six weeks. I don't want to get graphic, but you have barely stopped bleeding. And look, I'm not saying it's that bad in Australia. After I gave birth, I got a government payment to see me th through the first 18 weeks postpartum. It was about, it arrived about 11 months after I gave birth. Uh, and in order to get it, I needed to fill out about 30 pages of the most intrusive, invasive Kafka-esque paperwork 
explicitly designed to make you feel like a filthy leech sucking on the morally superior teat of the benevolent and hard done by government, while also asking those kinds of questions that make you question your ability to read, reason or comprehend the English language. What I am saying here is we have not figured out how to attribute value to things when we're giving money to men to spend on imaginary money that only exists because other people believe in it and we are not paying people enough to make human beings. If Elon Musk made a human being, you'd give him a fucking Nobel Prize. (laughs) Even from a purely selfish perspective, you know, the first two years of a baby's life are incredibly important to have a a personal connection with at least one priority caregiver, right? And I'm, again, from a purely self-interested perspective, who do you want wiping your ass when you are 90 years old? Is it somebody who knows what it feels like to be loved? Yeah, so what we need to do is give parents enough time and money to make the human beings that are going to be the doctors and the nurses and the carers of the future rather than piercing it down the magic money machine. Thank you. What is rational fear? It's based in fear. Taking the saddest headlines and giving them a little... Gabby, you know, before we hear from the law itself, you actually have been considering other careers before comedy? Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of proof that there's a lot of security in comedy. And it may shock all of you to know by looking at me that I don't have a degree. So, anyway. uh, So, yeah, I I did. I had a little Google where all good information is found. And I, um, I was sort of looking up, you know, jobs with career growth that I can have longevity in that provide a good mindset and all that Can you send me that link? (laughs) You're not going to want it when I tell you what it was because I kept kept seeing one really weird thing that kept popping up and that was the police. Yeah, I know. I thought, surely not. Surely you have to have a criminology degree to join the police force. But nah, if you have one... That's just, good. Just, just for Kyan's benefit, this is the New South Wales Police, not oh, the South sure. Australia. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. Great. I know it is state to Possible state. Possible deniability. Possible deniability. Yeah, yeah, I'm from the premier state, but it really should say the shit premier state. But regardless, I Googled, had a look, and I was like, surely not. I had to keep going, you know? So I kept looking. I was like, okay, well, what is the bare minimum? You know, what is the, the, the one requirement that you need to join the police force? You know, the job where they train you up to have a gun and then say, protect everyone. And it's six months... So I I thought about it a bit longer and I thought, what if you applied that level of training to literally any other profession? If you're a cop, you might want to pop out for about two minutes. Or just put your gun away. Yeah, put that one down. (laughs) A kindergarten teacher would only have up to F when they looked at their curriculum to teach the alphabet. A surgeon would not yet have even touched a surgery. But six months, yep, that's all it takes to join the Oz police. A lawyer would be juggling four subjects on their feet when on average there are 38 subjects to complete. They cannot yet defend, object or bargain for a plea. But meanwhile, you can make arrests when you're the Oz police. Seems fair. A retail worker would still have a skerrick of their soul. The West Coast Eagles still would not have scored a single goal. Michelle has not been introduced as child of destiny. But you can lock up kids when you work for Oz police. 
The age of criminal responsibility in this country across the board is 10. When I was 10, I couldn't even spell criminal. A first-time mum is still too busy cooking up a kid. A first-time architect is still drawing up a blueprint. A first-time taxidermist is still fucking creepy. But so is the fact that in six months you can join the Oz police. A politician would have only fucked up 40 times And for every fuck up made they would have told about 40 lies A Telstra support worker still has not got back to me But I would not have that problem if I worked for Oz Police Hands up Telstra, it's a raid! Fa la 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 firearms Military complex Little tiny boots All the people I know that went into that career were annoying at best and horrifying at worst. A learner driver would still be making their mum go. An office worker still has not worked up two weeks in lieu. A musical comedian just has this melody. But six months, yep, all it takes to own a gun, make arrests, and join the Oz Police. Happy Bob! This is a rational beer. Hello, Daniel Itch here. Just pausing the podcast to let you know that podcasts don't pay for themselves. No, generous sponsors do. And our generous sponsor for this 10 weeks is Australian Ethical. They are sponsoring us and we are very grateful. They love money. In fact, they love making you money. That's what they do. And they do it ethically. So they, they stay away from things like fossil fuels and they stay away from things like human trafficking, weapons, all sorts of baddies, drugs. Actually, I don't know. Maybe good drugs. Who knows? I don't. I, I, I'll have to look at the portfolio. I haven't looked at what they <laughs> haven't looked at what they've invested in. Maybe they are invested in pharmaceuticals, but certainly not recreational pharmaceuticals sold on the black market. No, they're not putting money into that. So big thank you to Australian Ethical. They've been around since 1986, making money work and doing good things with it, including sponsoring podcasts. Thank you so much, Australian Ethical. Later on this year, the whole country will vote in a referendum on the Indigenous voice to Parliament. For listeners outside of South Australia, you may not know this, but just a few days ago, South Australia passed legislation to enshrine its state's own First Nations voice to Parliament. Thanks to this man. He's a proud Aboriginal man. The first Indigenous person to hold the office of Attorney General. It's Kai Ma. Kaim, congratulations. What an, what an extraordinary achievement. Can you tell us how it felt to, to pass that legislation? Yeah, so it, it's passed the upper house of parliament. It goes through the lower house, which by definition the government has the numbers in. So we will have a fully elected Aboriginal voice to the South Australian parliament by the end of this month. Wow, fantastic. The, when I formally introduced the legislation as Minister for Aboriginal Affairs in the upper house, the public galleries were absolutely stacked with Aboriginal leaders, people that I've known, respected and been my mentors for decades. There were so many Aboriginal people there that you know, journalists and my fellow MPs from the other chamber couldn't get in to have a seat. It, it was the proudest day of my working life. Oh, that, how did you feel? Like, how did you feel like getting that, getting that bill passed in the upper uh, house? Just, just amazing. At, at the end of my 20-minute speech introducing the bill, I, I haven't been there before when people have stood up and clapped. There, there, there were tears, a lot of emotion. It... it it, as I said, it was you know, the proudest day I've had since I've worked anywhere. Amazing. Amazing. So are you saying that if... Um, this is incredible, by the way, but there uh, was one thing that caught my uh, ear there. If uh, you fill up the halls, the politicians can't get in. 
<laughs> is that it, what you're saying? That, that, that does create a big incentive. The, the politicians from the other chamber who wanted to come and watch it could, uh, could not find places in the gallery. Yeah. Okay. Not, you were thinking of a sneaky well, way to stop politicians. Well, I'm not planning an insurrection, but it's just good to have a backup, you know? So that's so exciting. I, I was in Cape Town mm, two, two weeks ago and I was talking to some First Nations folks who I'm friends with from Guatemala about the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. And I, had, I happened to have the 270-page the final report and I was showing it to them. They said to me, Dan, this gives me chills. Like, this is incredible. How many voices to Parliament from Indigenous folks are there around the world, do you know? There are a number in different ways. Some Scandinavian countries have their own Indigenous parliaments. There are reserved seats for Maori people in the New Zealand parliament. But certainly in the Australian context, what we're doing in South Australia will you know, be the first of any you know, state or territory. And we think we'll be a really good sort of signpost and, and hopefully allay some fears with the national referendum coming up. Yeah, well... <laughs> of course, the lefties in the audience are clapping. Go. Um, that's so exciting. Like, this is uh, something that, you know, I'm super interested in. Uh, you know, Peter Dutton says he doesn't have enough information. Does he not have enough information? Yeah, he has plenty of information. As you said, there's a 270-page report. Uh, you know, he asked 15 questions. Uh, we wrote out the answers to all those 15 questions in terms of how our model works. Yeah, but did you do it in bold? Uh, in <laughs> No, and it was only 12 fonts, so it probably wasn't, it wasn't good enough. But look, at, at the end of the day, Dad, it, it is really simply boils down to allowing Aboriginal people more of a say in decisions that affect their lives. It is as simple as that. Uh, there are three no camps, as far as I can tell. There's, like, uh, recognise a better way, which is, like, the traditional conservative liberal camp. There's Advanced Australia, which is the modern batshit crazy camp. Um, and then there's a third camp, the progressive no vote made up of a lot of grassroots folks. I follow a lot of black, uh, black and First Nation folks on social media, and there seems to be a bit of disc discontent around the voice. There seems to be uh, this progressive no vote is... is, is they're, they're all behind this progressive no vote for very compelling reasons around sovereignty and treaty. They want something more. How do you bring those folks to this conversation? I have a lot of sympathy for people who want to see treaty, want to see it happen and want to see it happen now. It's a couple of centuries overdue in Australia. But uh, you know, my first political involvement was you know, at the end of last century with the uh, referendum to become a republic and there were splits in the yes vote for the referendum. Those who wanted a directly elected president rather than an appointed one. And those, you know, the, the sort of split in those who wanted to see us become a republic, I think caused it to fail. I would hate to see this referendum go down because those who want to see more happen split onto you know, sequencing, treaty first or voice first. You know, I'm very firmly of the view, if this referendum fails and we don't get a voice, treaty won't be seen in our lifetime. It's not a question of you, know, you vote voice down and we get treaty quicker. I just don't think that's going to happen. So that was what I was going to ask. Do you see them as like one and then the other rather than one getting in the way of the other, sort of putting people off for a while? A absolutely. A lot of the people that I talk to, you know, Marcia Langdon and Megan Davis, those who have been heavily involved before and since the Uluru Statement from the Heart in 2017, I think sensibly look at sequencing that it makes sense to have a voice first and that sort of voice can then you know, help progress how you then go about truth and treaty. So, yeah, I think it makes sense of sequencing, but even if you don't agree with that, yeah, being against voice, it doesn't mean you're going to get something else quicker. Is there anything in the voice that... Because I know there was some talk earlier about it actually getting in the way, not just in terms of it 
getting in the way theoretically of sovereignty and like there were people who were really worried that it would be like no 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 if we get that then that actually can't happen not won't but can't is there anything any truth to that uh i can give you some pretty strong advice no thank you very much Um, that's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you, you, well, there are so many things that are thrown up. This will become yeah, a third chamber of parliament, another level of bureaucracy. It, it, it won't. What we've got in South Australia and what is being proposed federally is an advisory body. It will mean when government makes decisions, they will listen more to the views of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. That's it. It's less sexy when you call it an advisory body, isn't it? <laughs> it, it makes the whole thing, like, obviously, I don't, but if you're like, this whole country is up in arms. What over? An advisory body. <laughs> well, yeah, and when, when you sort of distill it like that, it, 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 it really, yeah, yeah, in those simple terms, yeah, well, what's the harm? What's the worst thing that can happen? Mm. Yeah, yeah, Aboriginal voices will be listened to more. <laughs> well, what I want to know uh, is I think what everyone wants to know, which is uh, will the voice be forced to enter every room while John Farnham's You're the Voice, <laughs> try and understand it, plays as their theme tune? I'd like to say yes, but I don't think we can uh, make that happen. We don't have the bagpipe budget. I'm <laughs> Not enough bagpipes anywhere in Australia for that. There's a lot of kind of things, folks, that, you know, it feels like this has been a, a real growing movement. And over probably the last 15 years, you see a lot of kind of movement towards recognising Aboriginal people in the Constitution, things like that. We have, you know, something very small. We have we try to platform a lot of Aboriginal voices. We have a Knowledgement of Country in our podcast. Um, you know, we say every week, you know, sovereignty was ne- never ceded. We need a treaty. And I'll be honest, when I heard that, I stole it off Tom Ballard's podcast because it sounded really good. But I, I mean it. Is it tokenistic to do that? Or is it meaningful to kind of have these things in small ways in products we make? I don't think it's at all tokenistic and I think it would be the overwhelming view of Aboriginal people that it is important to do that. Yeah, it is the case. Yeah, it is just a plain statement of fact. Sovereignty was never ceded. You didn't see Aboriginal people a couple of hundred years ago. Yeah, you can have my country. (laughs) You can ruin my culture. You can take away our kids. You can take our language. Yeah, sovereignty was never ceded. It is a a basic statement of fact and I think many Aboriginal people appreciate that recognition. Uh, Well, Kaim, thank you so much for risking your reputation to come on a rational fear. (laughs) Yes, give him a round of applause. Thank you so much. And just for balance, I think it's important we hear from Peter Dutton. So I've got a clip. Um, and Kaim, I might ask your legal advice after this. Hi, Peter Dutton here. I'm calling on Albo to provide more information on the Indigenous voice to Parliament, but not in the format of a 270-page report. That's too much information and not in the format of a series of one-on-one consultations from constitutional experts and the Prime Minister himself. That information is too oral, and as you know, I'm hard of listening, which is why I refuse to hear members of my own party advocating for a yes position. You could try to make a pamphlet with pictures that move when you pull a little tab, but it'll go straight into the shredder. If a report, briefings, conventions, pamphlets, a decade of development and even lobbying from my own party won't convince me, Peter Dutton, maybe there's another reason that a former Queensland cop is against an Indigenous voice to Parliament. I just can't put my finger on it. But if I did, I'd have to vocalise it and then I'd have to sue myself for defamation. And maybe that's the only detail that's missing. Albo. Authorised by Plausible Deniability Canberra. <laughs> so, 
Attorney General, in your expert opinion, is that sketch defamatory? Can I play that in public? Dan, I would love to have the power to, uh, to dispense <laughs> of the laws of defamation for the purposes of this show tonight, but I'm afraid I don't. That's very muddled advice. I think we'll just move on. Um, please give it up for Lewis Hobber. A rational fear. Hello. Thank you very much. Um, remember when you were a kid and it was your birthday party and just before it started, you have a flash of worry. What if no one turns up? That fear, unfortunately, is coming true. Not for a child, but for a poor, lonely 73-year-old man from England. The man's name is King Charles III. Because on the 6th of May this year, King Charles is getting a little crown placed between his mighty ears and he's throwing himself a coronation party. And he's asked all the huge musicians to join him. Adele, Ed Sheeran, Elton John, Robbie Williams, the Spice Girls, Harry Styles. They've all said no. So, at this point, so many people have said no to playing at King Charles's coronation, he's going to be thinking about booking Sticky Fingers. <laughs> this is how dire the situation is. This is true, right? After Robbie Williams had said no, King Charles went ahead and booked the rest of Take That. The rest of Take That. Take that with no Robbie Williams is like buying a car without the wheels. Like, it's technically a car, but you don't pay for it. <laughs> there was a time when being the King of England meant you could just cut off the head of anyone who looked at him funny. And now the King in 2023 is reduced to booking Take That without Robbie Williams. Oh, well, at least now they won't have to hide Prince Andrew when Robbie performs Kids. Unfortunately for Charles, the worldwide vibe on the British monarchy is at an all-time low. With the effects of colonisation, racism, both old and new, and the fact that they just won't do anything about Andrew, it's easy to see why Ed Sheeran might not want to stand up and sing I'm in love with your body directly to King Charles. It makes sense that Harry Styles said no to King Charles. Harry's saying no to Charles, it's kind of a tradition they're de developing over there. But I think then I wasn't a groan. I think we could have just let. I could have just been like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I see. He's got a son called Harry. He's yeah." And we could have. The groan was unnecessary. <laughs> is Julian fucking Schiller been talking to you people? Is this a fucking? That's not cabaret. <laughs> it's happening again, Lewis. <laughs> no, I think obviously the Harry no makes sense. I think the no that really would have hurt King Charles was Elton John. He asked Elton John. Elton John said no. Um, now, obviously, Elton John did be at, uh, Diana's big send-off, you might remember. The last thing you want to hear about your coronation is it was less fun than your ex-wife's funeral. <laughs> that one you could have groaned at. I would have let a groan happen on that one. Because Elton John, you might remember, he rewrote the lyrics to Candle in the Wind for when Diana died. And I think he could easily do that again now for King Charles. I think a little something like a... And, it's, and it seems to me you lived your life like a man who 
sun and things. Thank you so much. What a voice. He has it all. What a triple threat. Very good. Very good. Thank you so much. I think it's a very bad sign for a leader when musicians hate you. Uh, I think, like personally, I think Australia should be a republic and I think it's frankly embarrassing uh, that Australia would ever take orders from a guy who would book, take that, without Robbie Williams. But I do feel a bit sad for Charles because um, I have party anxiety. It's the worst. It's not the worst. <laughs> like the colonisation, the rest of it. But it's bad. It's bad is what I'm saying. Um, and since I know Charles is a huge fan of the podcast, thank you, Charles. Here are some suggestions of people that I think might say yes to playing at his coronation. Uh, so the first port of call, if I was him, would be people who actually love the royals. Unfortunately, they're all inbred losers, too busy to collecting teaspoons to learn to play an instrument. So they're all out. So here's who might actually do it. Oasis. Now... People have been begging the Gallagher brothers to get back together for years. They hate each other, and so they won't do it. But I think Charles could sit those two boys down and put their fight into perspective. Oh, you hate your brother, do you? Yeah. How many times did uh, your brother get on Jeffrey Epstein's plane? Zero? Get the fuck out there and play Wonderwall, you cunt. <laughs> if Oasis say no... Charles might need to find someone who maybe hasn't read any news in a while. That could be an option if he was trying to find someone who didn't know anything about what had been going on with the royal family. I suggest Enya. Now, Enya... This is true, a true fact. This isn't even a joke about Enya. This is just a true fact. She lives in a castle alone with 12 cats. Like, I don't reckon she's read the news. The problem with Enya, if I may, is that she is notoriously Irish which means Charles's family probably murdered some of Enya's family. Can you imagine actually having to consider that when you were booking entertainment for your party? Has my family killed any of your family? Uh, okay, low vibes. Fuck, all right. I haven't done it. He fucking Christ, all right. Which brings me finally to the only idea that I think might work. Holograms. People have been making artists perform as holograms for over a decade. They'll, they'll say yes because they can't say no. You could literally pick anyone. You could have holy, hologram Harry Styles, hologram Elton John, hologram Adele. He could even add hologram Robbie Williams to real life. Take that. <laughs> and to finish the concert, I think he should resurrect his dead mother who, floating above Westminster Abbey, could finally say she loves him and ask the world to be nice to him. Now, if you think that's not possible, I want you to just... Well, I was about to say close your eyes, but no, keep them open because just look at this, imagine this, floating after Westminster Abbey. Hologram Robbie Williams, probably shirtless. He's just pawned with the rest of Take That, right? And then the Queen's hologram floats up and... I love you so much, Charlie. I hope everyone in the world is being very nice to you. It's beautiful! Thank you so much! Lewis Hobbs, everyone! Fantastic! That is it for Rational Fear. Please thank Gabby, Lewis, Dylan, Andrew, uh, Attorney General Kai Ma, 
Is that everyone? Yeah, Dylan, yeah. Thank, big thanks to Road Mics, Australian Ethical, Token Events, Dane, Nathan, Yvonne, Kathleen, Jacob Brown on the Tepinaki Timeline, our new Patreon supporters, Peter Clayton, Darren, Jorg Rapp, Nick Mueller, Colin Robertson, Tiffany Barreca, Aaron Burke, and Peter Lawler is back. Until next week, there's something to be scared of. Good night. Bye. Your fear is rational. A pretty fun show from Adelaide. Big thank you to Adelaide. What a great town. What a great vibe. My goodness, the town was absolutely popping off. It is such a wonderful place to hang out for a few days. Congratulations on having such a brilliant festival season. Thank you for going out to see everyone. It is so cool as an artist to go to Adelaide. Love you lots. Thank you so much. Looking forward to being in Brisbane and Melbourne in just under three weeks' time. Please head on over to the World Science Festival website to get your tickets for Brisbane and head on over to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival website to get your tickets for Melbourne. All right, cheerio. See you next week.